Welcome everyone back to the Think and Reform podcast. My name is Luke Saint. I'm here with my dad, Joel Saint, and John Bingaman. And uh, today we're going to be talking about everything, uh, the thing that's on everyone's minds these days lately, especially in the Christian community, the Asbury revival that's happening, I believe, in Kentucky. Um, it, have, have, they, have they shut it down yet? Or is it still going? Uh, or do they, the best, schedule stop? The best I've heard is it's scheduled to end okay. on, uh, on this coming Thursday. On this coming Thursday. Um, okay. Shipping in the big guns, uh, Francis Chan, I understand, and uh, Rick Warren to uh, close things out. Didn't and, they uh, start it? I, I, I don't know if I, I don't know who started it, but the only thing I can think of is is I mean it sounds pretty weird if it's a revival of Holy Spirit because scheduled to, to end, but uh, I don't know if you can schedule a beginning you can schedule an end. Not to say that this was scheduled from the beginning, but you know that that was the old way of doing it, right? I mean you saw the old post there was revival scheduled for you know such and such a time. So that from what I understand they're wrapping things up. I mean they're still a seminary, right? They still have to function as yeah, a seminary right uh, so i guess it has to end at some point okay well today we're going to be talking about it and looking at uh some videos and uh, maybe reading an article too and especially going to the scriptures about what uh what do we do with you know the such a strong response to a potentially strong event um or occurrence and it seems like everyone has to make a decision right away you know there's you know, people are pushing each other to either accept it or reject it. And, and admittedly, there are a lot of people who are just like, I'm just going to wait to see what happens. And, you know, I mean, that's probably, you know, on the better responses is to look for the fruit of the event and see if there is anything or if it's just hype. And uh, so, Dad, what are your thoughts on the uh, revival so far? Well, you know, it's, it's at a Methodist seminary. Okay, that, that doesn't necessarily disqualify it, but, but it has, actually has to make me wonder. It's also at a woke Methodist seminary that questions the, the, the inspiration and authority of the scriptures. How, how woke are we talking about here? Um, pretty, you know, your, your, your standard stuff, okay. your, your standard woke, your standard uh, CRT stuff going on there. And, um, you know, the women preachers, all that stuff. I would say all that stuff. I mean, there's, there's a lot that we could say about what woke looks like. Generally speaking, when you talk woke, in my mind, is you're talking about another gospel. That's the problem. Um, if you, uh, you know, your, your sins that you have to atone for are dependent on the, the, the amount of melanin or lack of melanin in your skin. That is wokeness in, ter in, in theological terms. Okay. So, so you're, you're on the skeptical side? Uh, you can say I am. Okay. All right. I, I'd like I'd like to not be. Okay. Um, I was talking to John about this a couple a uh, couple days ago at church, and he was kind of blowing my mind with some observations. Go ahead and blow everyone's mind with your observa observations, John. <laughs> we set it up. The today. mind, the mind blower. <laughs> this is not stepping up to the mic, and, and it's not my mind uh, that that's doing the talking here. I, I when I when I hear about when I hear about a revival, first of all. Uh, you already you already stepped into this, Joel, talking about scheduling. Um, you know, whenever you schedule a revival, beginning and end, uh, it, that makes it very suspect in my mind. The the reason I think that people are looking at this thing is because it wasn't scheduled. At least we don't know that it was scheduled. Uh, but when I think about revival, everything I think about revival now is colored uh, by this book that I have here in my hand by D. Martin Lloyd-Jones called The Baptism and the Gifts of the Spirit. 
uh, way back in the uh, early 60s, he preached a series of 24 sermons about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And uh, he, makes, he makes a very, very strong case. Now, let me back up. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a reformed pastor. Mm-hmm. He, 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 was, uh, he and Billy Graham you know, went toe-to-toe uh, over their, you know, Billy Graham's ecumenicalism and, and D. Martin Lloyd-Jones saying, no, no, you've got to stick with the scripture. Uh, good for Martin Lloyd-Jones, uh, a great, great preacher. <clears throat> but Jones makes a distinction uh, of, between your baptism, your regeneration, and a baptism with the Holy Spirit. And I think of revival in terms of baptism with the Holy Spirit. Uh, he starts his... He starts his book, he starts his series by quoting John the Baptizer, who says, you know, I come to baptize you with water. But there comes one after me, you know, whose shoes I'm not worthy to untie, who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And he makes a case through the scripture, and not just some big idea that he has. It's not an axe he's trying to grind. He makes a case through the scripture about baptism with the Holy Spirit. That that's what happened at Pentecost, and it happened over and over and over through Acts. There are many things uh, that he he takes up in this book, not the least of which is testing the spirits. You know, not everything that is uh, called a baptism with the Spirit or a revival is, but he also makes the case that a baptism with the Spirit, which this is what is being claimed at Asbury, has, it's not necessarily got anything to do with uh, an immediate morality. He, he, talks, he talks about how the Corinthians were an out of control church because they had been baptized with the Spirit, but they hadn't been sanctified. They didn't have any maturity. And that may be what's going on here. We don't know, and I think that that's the argument that that's the strong argument for waiting to see uh, what bears fruit. Again, I would highly recommend this book. It's called "The Baptism and the Gifts of the Holy Spirit." It's Steve Martin Lloyd Jones. If you want to listen to the to the sermons, uh, they're online in mljtrust.org. You can look them up. Um, But there's there's a couple of things right right off the bat in in this book. He says, uh, I remember once hearing a man say he did not care what the Apostle Paul or anybody else said. He knew. He had had an experience. Now, the moment a man says that, he's putting his own experience above the Scripture, opening the door to fanaticism, not enthusiasm, but fanaticism and other possible dangers. So he recognizes that right away. But he also recognizes the possibility that, uh, that we dismiss it out of hand because we're so worried about um, order and dignity and being dignified. And he said, that's the last thing that was going on in the church in Corinth. And so uh, he said, is, does anybody have to write to a church today, like Paul had to write to Corinth to say, all right, guys, simmer down now. You know, it's great that you're exhibiting all these gifts of the Holy Spirit, which isn't even what, something that's happening at, at Asbury. Simmer down. And let's get into sanctification. I mean, it's what, especially 
1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14 is all about how you handle all that stuff. Okay, so, okay. So where, where, where? I, 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 count me in the camp of I'm gonna, I want to wait and see if anything comes out of it. Okay, so, but in, in Corinthians, would you describe Paul writing those letters in light of them having a revival? Yes. Okay. I would. All right. I would say that, that we, have to, we have to read Acts as, as uh, go through Acts and see how often there was a baptism of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it was the apostles laying hands on people. Other times, like uh, when Peter visits Cornelius, the Holy Spirit fell. He was regenerated and baptized with the Holy Spirit almost simultaneously. Mm-hmm. So okay. there was no time there for sanctification. So we, we read, we have to read the epistles in light of what had gone on in Acts because it was happening all over the first century church. Um, so uh, so you, you're, you're working off the definition of a revival being a, a, the a baptism with the Holy, the Holy Spirit. Spirit. I think yes, that's, I am. I, that's a, a, <laughs> we're light years ahead of the competition because we have a definition. <laughs> we have a definition of what we're going to use to say, is this revival or not? using baptism of the Holy Spirit as a, defi- as, a de- as, as a defining event. What do you think, Dad? You got your own book there. Ian H. Murray. We're going to go Ian H. Murray versus uh, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Everyone <laughs> yeah. line up. Put yeah, yeah, your yeah. bets on here. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't want to bet against either. <laughs> I don't want to either. <laughs> you know, usually on Facebook, I see, I see the memes of like, you know, choose your five favorite pastors. You only get five picks, and they got all the greats from, you know, basically everyone who's not an apostle. And you know, they go from like, you know, uh, Polycarp all the way up to... Um, uh, what's his name? Uh, why are you laughing, guy? Um, um, oh, Paul Washer. Paul Washer. You know, all the way up to him. Why are you and, clapping? And every yeah, why are you clapping? And and uh, uh, you know, and everyone in between. And you know, and uh, I nobody ever says, well, who 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 would you choose if if you had to market uh, argue against Ian Murray? Who would you, would you choose, Martin Lloyd Jones? Or if you had to argue against Martin Lloyd Jones, would you choose Ian Murray? We don't we don't want to think about we don't want to think about these things. We we don't like to talk or even think about our favorite pastors fighting each other on things. That's, my pastor are, can beat up your pastor. My pastor can beat up your pastor. It's bad <laughs> enough already. But, um, Deb, so go ahead. Yeah, a couple things. Um, reading up on this because, it's again, people are talking about it. And like I you know, we were talking about before we got on here a little bit. Um, I like John's definition of baptism with the Holy Spirit being a revival because there is no category in the Scriptures for revival like we have category for redemption, um, salvation. Those, but they, they use the word, though. Um, they use the word revive or revive us, right? Well, we see that in Psalms, for example. Wilt thou not revive us again? And Habakkuk, example. right? Uh, Habakkuk, I'm not so sure about that. Are you going to look, you're going to look that up on your uh, uh, in, in Bible Gateway here? I'm yeah. Not, I'm not so sure it was used. Give it a, give it a shot here. I think it's Habakkuk chapter 2. Oh, you know what? How about I just do this? <laughs> yeah, how about I just do a revive? Re- yeah, revive. No, no, no. How about a, or how about? Okay, I mean, I'm going to say revival. Yeah, it says it looks like we don't have the word revival. Yeah, yeah. So you have okay. So you have uh, will you not revive us again that your yeah. pe- the people may rejoice? That, that's, Psalm eighty-five six. Yeah, that's the one one we go to. But I mean, and that's there. It's asking for to be revived. 
but we don't have it worked out theologically like we have sin, salvation, redemption, uh, sanctification worked out and, and defined what it is. So what are we left with here? If it's a work of the Holy Spirit, and this particular writer, uh, Reverend William Hamilton, who wrote extensively on like, apparently a, a, a revival in Ireland in, in, I think it was 1859, he, he, make, he makes a case here, and, and follow me on this if you will. Um, he talks about the, the providence of God because people say, well, this is of God, right? And that's hard to, that, that's, that's kind of hard to, you know, come back on that. This is of God. So what can you say against it? And he makes a case. He said, God, you know, God, the father works all things according to the counsel of his, his own will. And if you're going to say this is of God, then every, you know, don't, don't forget that everything's of God. Mm -hmm. yep. um, good things, bad things and everything. But he goes on to say the work of the Holy Spirit is to, is involved in regeneration. Uh, Christ says, I'll send the Holy Spirit. He will convict the world of sin, righteousness and judgment. The Holy Spirit is the one that convicts. So to say that something is of God, externally, perhaps, well, not perhaps, no, it is of God. But the work of the Holy Spirit is to convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment. I will, will hold off any kind of judgment or, or any kind of, um, shall I say, um, uh, approval of any movement that doesn't show me that it's actually the work of the Holy Spirit here. And the Holy Spirit convicts of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And I want to see that. And I, ha I definitely have not seen that so far. Hmm. And I, I would challenge anybody to say that, that, we, that we have seen that. Uh, we've seen some cool testimonies. Um, I saw one girl talking about her, confirming her sexuality and so forth. A year ago. Yeah, a year oh, ago. Was that a year ago? Yes, it was. Oh, yeah. good. Okay. Wow. The one I tried to use positively yeah, doesn't even work. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> Big swing and a miss Appar there. Apparently, that was, that was, that yeah. was a year ago. I mean, yeah. I mean you, you, has anybody Still seen, testimony. I mean, I, I know you guys have been looking at this. and so Has anybody seen any evidence of the conviction of sin, righteousness, and judgment here? We, we don't know because we're not there. That's the big problem. But, but even the people that have been talking there. Well, I mean, the, the, wait, wait, that's I, a good I, question. Yeah, yeah I, I saw um, uh, somebody sent me a, a video. Okay, it sent me a video of um, you know, some guy was walking around talking to people that were there, right? And he was outside. He said, look at all these people. And then he was outside walking along. Look at this line of people. And he's talking to people who want to get in and so forth. And he goes this. He says, what is revival? You know, so I'm, I'm okay. So I'm, I'm paying attention now, right? Um, and he said, revival is Jesus. It's just Jesus. So, uh-oh. Oh, okay. Man. We're in trouble now. <laughs> Are you against oh. that? <laughs> right. Okay. And, 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 and so that's, that's reports from the ground. Um, but let's go to uh, Austin Keeler here, who many people by this point have seen. He, he has uh, released some uh, videos. And here is... Um, Did you say he's a pastor, right? Yes, he is a pastor down there in okay. Kentucky. So he's only an hour away, and he's been scoping it out along with another guy. They've been scoping it out. And uh, let's hear his testimony. Uh, let's have a, uh, have a listen to what he has to say about the, whole, about the whole thing. So here we go. This is not going to be a popular video. This is actually a really difficult video for me to make. Now, those of you have, who have called me a Pharisee over the last few days may not believe me, but I, I was really hopeful about what's happening at Asbury. Honestly, I, I felt like weeping because there's, there's no gospel being proclaimed or offered 
Instead, a distorted gospel is being presented and applauded. But before we get to that, let me tell you what I saw. We were we were in the chapel for two and a half hours. Upon entering, the main leader was giving announcements and admitted that not much preaching has taken place. He, he said, quote, because we're not here to listen to a mesmerizing speaker. There was repetitive music, which was rhythmic and emotional. There was great enthusiasm for meaningless phrases like splashing in the love of Jesus and settling oh, into you've grace, got which was received with applauses and amens. Uh, there was mental pictures of dynamite and visions of piles of shoes. There was casting out or praying against the spirit of depression or of anxiety. There were prayers for new special and specific revelation and impartations for visions and dreams. We stayed long enough to hear five different speakers and listen to half a dozen student testimonies. Two of the speakers were clearly faculty. The other three seemed to be staff of some sort. Most concerning was the lack of the gospel. Two of the speakers said the word gospel as though they were communicating it, but it was absent. I wrote down some phrases that summarize the gospel I heard. We know your life has been full of pain, but we're here to tell you Jesus loves you. Your story is full of pain and Jesus receives you as you are. Quote, Jesus is speaking healing to broken, bleeding, wounded hearts here. We heard testimonies, but not one of the testimonies we heard were about repentance, and sadly, none really mentioned Jesus, if at all. That being said, I don't doubt anyone's sincerity, and I think people will get out of this what they want to. I in no way think that I have the definitive say or word on what is happening at Asbury. I'm simply sharing what I saw, what I experienced, and what I think about it. All right, so uh, that's the testimony of uh, Pastor Austin Keeler down there in Kentucky. But, but, but did you hear that? We're not talking about sinners here. We're talking about victims. Mm-hmm. This, this is bad news here. Yeah. This is really bad news. Mm-hmm. I'm a victim. My life is full of whatever. I'm not a sinner. Mm-hmm. I'm a victim of whatever. Mm-hmm. And Jesus came to rescue me from my victimhood. Yeah. I'm not really a sinner. And... and, and do, do you this, think? This, do you think the church in Corinth? Do you think the church in Corinth had that down that they were sinners at least? I, I'm sure they did have that down. Well, well, they clearly clearly had that down by the time Paul was done with them. Okay, I mean, yeah. I'm just by try- the time he was done with them. But I think you know, going into Corinth, which was a pagan culture, uh, that they had had a, they had had real experiences. They had had a, real baptisms, real regenerations, uh, real baptisms of the Spirit, but they had no idea. What sin was, hmm. their, their definitions were missing as far as biblical definitions of what sin is. You, you know, you got a guy living uh, with, with his, with his uh, father's wife. Yeah, his yeah. father's wife, right. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, what? Yeah. I can't do that? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't know. Yeah, and he was directly told, you can't do these things. So, so if, if the church in Corinth can have a, a, a revival, can't these guys have a revival? I mean, I mean, is what he said, is that any worse than somebody living with his, his, dad's, his dad's wife? Well, he, just tell him. Say it at some point, right? Somebody's got to say it. You, yeah, yeah you, you've had eight, nine, ten days, whatever. Anybody saying it? Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul's saying about the first and second chapter of, of, of Corinthians, mm-hmm. right? Okay. Early on. He's, he's saying this. Okay. But what I'm hearing there, and I've heard this other places too, and, and this is a popular item, I believe, in so-called Christian churches. 
Jesus died to make you whole. Mm-hmm. In other words, you are you, you, you're, you're kind of like a, a, an orange and a good orange, right? You just need that extra slice, and it's called Jesus. Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. You're a rotten orange, good for nothing but the dunghill, and only Christ can save you because you are an active sinner, a criminal against Him. This is a huge difference, and this is what's being this is what's passing for preaching now in our in our churches. You, the victim. Mm-hmm. It's bad news. It's terrible. John, your thoughts on that video? Uh, it's it's hard to listen to. It's hard. It's a shame to to hear. Like, uh, it, I I have to back up here and admit that uh, I honestly don't uh, haven't been following the whole thing all that closely. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm aware of it. Yeah. Uh, but because I have a wait and see attitude. I'm not getting caught up in the day-to-day details of it. So this is kind of a first for me. I've seen some things that, that are uh, sort of encouraging, but then I see other things that are that are discouraging. This particular uh, video is very discouraging mm-hmm. because, uh, let's go back to Jones. One of the things he talks about is when you're baptized with the Spirit, besides the extraordinary assurance that the Spirit gives you of your regeneration, expelling all doubts. Mm-hmm. It, it, you're being baptized with the Spirit in order to witness to Christ. Mm-hmm. And that's, we just heard, it's not something that we're hearing. Mm-hmm. We're not hearing about Christ um, and, and the glory of Christ. The, the, the Spirit, of course, is, that's His role, to point, the, point everybody to Christ. Uh, and where where is that? And we're not hearing that, so it's it's a shame. So, an FYI for everyone listening, this is not the first time that Asbury has had these types of revivals. I'm going to read an article here. This is from uh, 2006, and we'll see if if you've been following along a little bit, just a little bit with the Asbury revival. Um, we'll see if some of the language is the same. And and just because if the language is the same doesn't mean that it wasn't a real revival back then either. But I am a little suspicious that the revival keeps happening in the same place over and over again. Um, you know, because if, if I say, well, we need to shut it down, they say, well, you can't stop the Holy Spirit. It's just a little weird that the Holy Spirit keeps on going back to the same place for the revival. So I, I'm, 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 I'm going to read this article here, and uh, it is, uh, I found this on the uh, Forerunner, which is run by Jay Rogers. He had compiled a bunch of uh, it's the uh, theforerunner.com. He had compiled a, piled a bunch of uh, articles about revival and about Asbury, and you can go check out check out his list at uh, forerunner.com. So, <clears throat> a revival account. At, the name of the article is a revival account, Asbury, 2006. And the heading here: is, Students, faculty, and passers-by joined in praise and worship around the altar chapel. Continues today. Praise, worship, and re- oh, wait a uh, second. Also in February. February 8, 2006. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. <laughs> well, maybe it was scheduled. <laughs> um, February, Start of a new semester. <laughs> February 8, 2006. Praise, worship, and release. Continuous students are still gathered around the altar in Hughes Auditorium, where they have been since Monday. After today's powerful chapel celebrating the uh, work of the Holy Spirit on the Asbury College campus, God's work carries on. President Paul A. Rader led the chapel service this morning as students for the last three days have converged on Hughes Auditorium for prayer and and intercession for the campus and worldwide community. Not bad, not bad. God continues to move across the campus, said Dr. Paul A. Rader. 
Quote, we have had students in Hughes Auditorium continuously since Monday at 10 a.m. when God came in such power and blessing during our student chapel. Last night at midnight, there were several hundred in, in Hughes. Some stayed around full, till 4 a.m. We met for a prayer and praise chapel this morning with an awesome sense of expectation. God did not disappoint us. From this first praise chorus, students began coming to the long altar at the front of the auditorium. Soon the altar was crowded with students again. There was incredible freedom in the spirit as we sang and prayed and shared testimonies of God's gracious work in the hearts of students. It has been holy, the work of the Holy Spirit, the, who moved numbers of our students to passionate, persistent prayer in small groups over the past several months. There, have been a, there has been a wonderful sense of the Spirit's ordering. We have been spared excesses and unhelpful sharing. Uh, students have spoken with such wisdom and spiritual maturity scriptures so well chosen and so powerfully used of the Lord. We have, uh, we do have this wonderful sense of the constant presence of God on this campus and he is palpably and preciously present to us today. Unquote. Junior Jonathan Grant of Mishawaka, Indiana stayed in the autumn until 3 a.m. Wednesday and returned again at 7 a.m. A late night or an all nighter scheduled typically. Uh, schedule typically witnessed during finals week is being used to praise and worship God. People keep saying, uh, excuse me, quote, people keep saying it doesn't matter if this ends in five minutes. What matters is what we do when we leave here, how this changes us. God has become real to me and I have a responsibility and a gift to take and share with the world, unquote. Uh, Stacy Stevens Hall, a senior from Knoxville, Tennessee, talked about the response from the local nationwide community. We are, quote, we are excited. It's amazing that God is using this time to call others to pray for Asbury College around the world. The news is spreading quickly and people want to join in the celebration, unquote. Um, yes, thank you. So there's one more story in there. I, Wouldn't I'm it not be sure. interesting to talk to those people today? Yeah, so I'm thinking the yes. same thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. wish, wish 50 years later? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's 2006, so that's, uh, that's what's that, a 17 years later? Count, uh, 1970. Yeah, so I was reading a revival count, oh, 2006, oh. and okay. then there's one here. Read this one. This one's a little less um, encouraging. So here's another one. Again, a revival count, Asbury, 1970. Wilmore, Kentucky. doesn't say the month, Dad. Uh-oh. Uh, one morning in 1970, without warning, all heaven... All heaven broke loose. <laughs> All heaven broke loose during Asbury's College 10 a.m. chapel service. When you walked in the back of the Hughes Auditorium, there was a kind of aura, kind of a glow in, about the chapel, said Dr. David Hunt, a Louisville uh, physician who, went, who was then a student. I always have been reminded of the verse, take off your shoes for you're standing on holy ground. You just walked in and sensed that God has indeed sent his spirit. The service, a routine meeting, was scheduled for 50 minutes. Instead, it lasted 185 hours, nonstop, 24 hours a day. Intermittently, it continued for weeks. Ultimately, it spread across the United States and into foreign countries. Some say it is being, even, uh, it is being felt even today. This year marks the 21st anniversary of the landmark 1970 Asbury College revival. Okay, so uh, they're writing this in 1991, I guess. An unplanned, unled display of fervor that has been compared to the Great Awakenings of 1740 and 1800. This year is also the 41st anniversary of a strikingly similar Asbury, uh, Asbury revival experience in 1950. Okay, so there's one in 1950 and 1970. And they're writing this 21 years at 1991. Um, uh, so uh, just some context there. A bigger outbreak, a global revival, in fact, will begin soon, says Dr. David McKenna a president of adjacent Asbury Theological Seminary and his new book, The Coming Great Awakening. Well, I, th I think we've answered uh, the schedule question, right? I mean, I think, right? 
Right. Yeah, well, they are scheduling. Joel, you're such a cynic. Yeah. <laughs> Um, the revival might not start at Asbury, but it probably will begin on campuses, says McKenna, a noted author. He travels to many colleges and says, I see the signs wherever I go. I think it's safe to say he was wrong um, because it's been, what, 22 years after, I uh, know, 32 years after this guy said it, and he predicted a global revival. Did we see one? A global revival? Yeah. Uh, I, miss, I missed it. Yeah. I, I definitely missed it. I mean, 1991. Uh, okay, so um, that was the, the coming great awakening. I, I don't know. Okay. Those signs include a generation. If you, if you count it awakening, oh, it, it worked. Got him. Great, great awakening. <laughs> yeah, those I signs. Take it over. Uh, back to the article. Those signs include a generation of students wounded by family breakdowns and searching for spiritual fulfillment. Much of the coming revival will be a delayed reaction, McKenna thinks, to what happened at Asbury College 20 years ago. See, there we go again. Uh, wait, right? isn't it already Students a delay 20 years? Isn't 20 years to, to, to whatever. Yeah. <clears throat> but there we are. Uh, victims wounded by family breakdowns and searching for f- spiritual fulfillment. Mm. Is that the same as repentance of sin? Mm. Is, is that the same thing? I want, I, I'd like to know. Mm. Uh, good question. On February 3rd. Ah, February, Dad. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. What's going on? It was February oh, after come all. On. Don't get, oh, is it, is this, come on. Is this a, uh, a, you know, a capital campaign? Oh, here? my goodness. February man. 3rd. Ah. Oh, it's, I, I, I've got to call down Joe Biden. Come on, man. <laughs> on February 3rd, 1970, students and faculty members had shown up at the college's chapel, Hughes Auditorium, for what they soon would be one more routine meeting. These kind of all start the same, right? Students were required to attend chapel services three times a week at Asbury in Wilmore, a city of 4,300, about 16 miles south of Lexington, is an interdenominational Christian college whose roots are in the Wesleyan tradition of the Methodist Church. On that Tuesday morning in 1970, Custer Reynolds, Asbury's academic dean and a Methodist layman, was in charge. President Dennis Kinlaw was traveling. Reynolds did not preach. Instead, he briefly gave his testimony, then issued an invitation for students to talk about their own Christian experiences. There was nothing particularly unusual about that. One student responded to his offer, then another, then another. Then they just started pouring to the altar, Reynolds said. It just broke. Gradually, inexplicably, students and faculty members alike found themselves quietly praying, weeping, singing. They sought out others to whom they had done wrong deeds and asked for forgiveness. The chapel service went on and on. Okay. There's some repentance. Yeah. Now we're talking. We're in the right ballpark there, Dad. Obviously, there's some sort of, there's conviction there about something. But, I mean, I'm not going to lay this. I guess we're getting close to sin. We got got wrong (laughs) deeds there. Um, I'm not going to lay all the. Don't have the S word there, the sin word, but hey. It's not a perfect world. I'm not going to lay all the faults or the the good or the bad at the altar of this article, whoever's writing it. Maybe maybe there was stronger language used and and somebody edited it. I don't know. Um, uh, Asbury, like many evangelical organizations, held annual scheduled revivals. He puts revivals in quotes there. Okay, I'm going to read that again. Asbury, like many evangelical organizations, held annual scheduled revivals with guest ministers and services booked in advance. This, however, was not the same. Okay, no one had planned it. No one was leading it. But it's in February. So there was just one difference. Uh, There was just a different feeling about that day, said Marilyn Blackburn, who was a junior at the college. She is now a substitute school teacher in New Jersey. Okay, so they are interviewing people 20 years after it, uh, the fact there, John. In this case, yeah. 
People didn't want to leave, she said. They were afraid they would miss something wonderful. J.T. Siemens, Siemens um, visit, vividly remembers. Siemens, now retired, was then a professor at adjacent Asbury Theological Seminary, which is a separate institution from the college. He and his wife, author Ruth Siemens, were waiting for their daughter to come home from, trip, from lunch. Sandra Siemens, an undergraduate at the college, was late. She burst through the door and exclaimed, you simply wouldn't believe what's happening at the college, according to J.C. Siemens' book, One Tiptoe with Love. Excuse me, On Tiptoe with Love. I'm not very encouraged by that title. She was right. Her dad didn't believe. Eventually, he went to Hughes Auditorium to investigate. The 1,500-seat chapel was packed. When he entered, J.T. Simmons felt as if he had been baptized in an unaccountable spirit of love. He said his skepticism vanished. I said to myself, this is not of man. He, re he recalled recently, this is of God. The Lord walked in. Reynolds, the dean, called Kinlaw. Uh, Reynolds, the dean, called Kinlaw, the president who was at a conference in Western Canada. Kinlaw, like Siemens, had reservations about the revival. He returned to campus two days later in the wee hours of the morning. The meeting he found was still going. I was scared, Kinlaw said. That is, he knew he would be held responsible if matters got out of hand. At the same time, he didn't want to intervene and quench an authentic move of God. That uh, little bit of problem there. You know, people say you can't quench it, an authentic movement. You can't stop it, right? No one can stop it. They get up there. Yay, this is of God. No one can stop it. But then we got people talking about, well, I'm afraid I'm going to stop it. So uh, which one is it? We got to commit to one or the other. It was after 2 a.m., but Kinlaw walked to Hughes Auditorium and sat on the back pew. He approached by he was approached by a student who asked for his counsel, though no one knew it. She said quality she had been a habitual liar. She needed to make reparations to people on camp, campus she had wronged. Soon, Kinlaw, too, was convinced that the rival, rival was legitimate. Later, a reporter asked him to explain the outbreak. I said, well, you may not understand this, Kinlaw recalled, but the only way I know how to account for this is that last Tuesday morning, about 20 of 11, the Lord Jesus walked into Hughes Auditorium, and he's been here ever since, and you've got the whole community paying tribute to his presence. Um, okay, 20 years later. Okay, this is where it gets interesting. Pay attention here. 20 years later, Kinlaw acknowledges that people might reasonably think that the revival was the result of contagious emotions among students. It was, after all, the age of Aquarius, a time of runaway emotions of many kinds. Harmony and understanding. <laughs> uh, just it was the dawning of the... Come on, everybody. Okay, these, are, okay, these, Aquarius. Are, these, are, these are boomers talking about stuff in their life at me as a millennial. And <laughs> when I had this, hair. Yes. This, <laughs> <laughs> I was not born. Uh, so uh, this is for, that was for boomers. So shout out to boomers there. Um, Okay, so he here's Ken Law again. He says there's a psychological there's psychological factors involved. Wait, 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 I gotta stop there. I mean, is he serious? Or the, the, I guess the writer's serious, right? It was, after all, the age of Aquarius, a time of runaway emotions of many kinds. What? Well, what, that's one what of the reasons you might you might get skeptical about what's going on at a college campus. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it was you know, tune in, drop out. What's the whole Timothy Leary thing? Uh, yeah, tune in. This is boomer language. This is going over my head in here. Yeah, I forget just, what that was. Tune in, turn on, drop out. There you go. That's tune it. in, turn on, drop out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was talking about drug trips and yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. LSD and acid. That's the age of Aquarius. Yep. Uh, okay. It was the dawning. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Everybody. Uh, okay, so, so okay, let me finish this quote here. There's psychological factors involved, Ken Law agreed, because we're psyches, but there's something beyond that. Um, okay. Um, another thing they said in this one that's similar to the 2006 article, they said that the marathon service was uncannily orderly. So that, that to me, is an indication that of authenticity when it's orderly and people aren't just running around like headless chickens and being slain in the spirit and all that silliness. 
Um, yeah, that's worth something. Um, he, he, let me skip down here. The revival spreads. News of the revival spread in newspapers and on television. Strangers flocked to Wilmore to worship with students. Asbury officials dismissed classes. By Thursday, revival had broken out at the seminary across the street from the college. Um, okay, and okay. So here's here's a paragraph here I want to read. When several Asbury students gave their testimonies at the Meridian Street Church of God in Anderson, Indiana, for instance, the church experienced a spontaneous revival that lasted 50 consecutive nights. According to old clippings from Indiana newspaper, the Anderson Church soon became so packed that the services had to be moved to a school gymnasium. Up to 2,500 people a night flocked to the gym in hopes of, here it is, being touched by God. Um, so, again, I'm not going to lay all the faults at the writer of this. Maybe that's his own interpretation or her interpretation of, of that. But being touched by God is, um, that's, that's like uh, my, my radar is up there. I'm like, that's not, uh, that's not very scriptural. So, um, uh, so putting the 1970 Asbury revival in proper perspective is not easy, although America's history is peppered with similar phenomena. Uh, the Great Awakening of 7040 and for, for instance, helped change the course of American society by turning a rowdy frontier into the bedrock of Christianity. There also have been many revivals on American, American college campuses dating back to at least 1795 when a famous one erupted at Yale, and that was uh, Dwight. Okay, wait a minute. You're missing something. It's What's that? screen the other way. Okay, uh, check out... Um, in February 1950, you see that? In February 1950, in February again. Oh my word, it's February. What the heck is go Could, would they be so obvious? In Another spontaneous revival roared through Asbury College. Wow, it's February every single time. Yeah. What does that mean? That they're too stupid to, to, to hide the fact that they're planning this? Or, I mean, what does that mean that's happening in February? What can we conclude? from that well, all of them every single one of them happened in february i think it'll be make it easier to schedule in the future you, you know you have the you might not have the year down but you have the month anyway it's so weird anyway i couldn't help but notice that yeah um if you um okay another complicated question is how such revivals happen Quote, if you take a non-religious perspective, obviously it's sociological factors, learned behavior, pattern response, said Randall Balmer, Randall Balmer, a historian of religion at Columbia University. His book on evangelicals, Mine Eyes Have Seen the Glories, being made into a PBS television series. And it does actually sound like a PBS television series. If, on the other hand, Balmer said, you are inclined to attribute to the Holy Spirit as the people are, then it's a miraculous visitation. Revivals often occur in times of discord. Yeah, this is this this article is a lot longer. Um, okay, so but the, the the author says here, in the end it is impossible to say empirically what happened at Asbury College in 1970 or in the many great revivals throughout western history or what will underlie any revival to come. Now, I have a little bit of problem with that statement right there. Um, because he's saying, well, I don't know really what happened. And you can never really tell what happened with, you know, most of the revivals. It's like, oh, uh, no, you can kind of tell what happened, right? You, you can kind of go back and look at the testimonies to see the fruit of the Great Awakenings and, 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 and similar things, the Welsh revivals. You can look at the fruit of that, right? It's not just like, well, I don't know what happened. There's just some sort of uh, emotional thing. It's like, no, no, you can, you can, you can document. But it, I, I, I'm, I'm a little, this is 21 or 22 years that this article was written after the 1971 and, and the, the, the conclusion is that it's an open matter. 
So I'm a little skeptical about the fruit of that revival if it's an open matter. It should be, shouldn't it be definitive? Should, be, should we be wondering 20 years after the revival if it was genuine? Uh, no, it should be obvious, right? I think so, especially if you're talking to people 20 years afterwards. And, and one, of the, one of the guys says, well, I don't know. It might have been just emotionalism. Mm-hmm. Does that look like fruit to you, John? No. Okay. No. And it's one of the things that uh, in, in uh, Jones's book here, where he, and he describes many different revivals, uh, but the ones that he validates, he does so by saying that the community was changed. Okay. Now, he's also right. generally going back into a time when people stayed in their communities. That's not the case. You know, people came to Asbury to college and dispersed. So it may be much harder to see. Hmm. You know, I'm trying True. to play True. the you know, other True. side of it here. Wait, right. At that point, though, John, uh, isn't there a difference between, you know, the, the, the revival happening and break, breaking out in other places and flowing outward yeah. versus a revival so-called breaking out and people coming inward? Well, yeah, it, it, Always, it, it's got to concern you when you get a line of cars coming to see what's going on. Mm-hmm. And is it just rubbernecking? Uh, and I heard somebody actually use that term that it's a rubberneck revival. Well, isn't that what happened at, essentially uh, what happened at Pentecost? Yeah, we have that. We have that happen. Right. Those guys are rubbernecking, right? They, they were. Mean, yeah. Well, that's how, that's how it started. Calling it out drunk with wine. Right. That's how it started, but that's now not how it ended. Mm-hmm. See, these were revivals here. That seems to be that's how it ended. A couple of points I want to make about yeah, that. There's book. no Peter standing up here saying, right. No, these men are not drunk as you presume. Right. And he calls it, you know, therefore let all the house of Israel know that God has made yeah. this man whom you crucified, right. both Lord and Christ. Which gets back to Jones's point about okay. witnessing to Jesus Christ. Mm. Where is it? Okay. Yeah, yeah, I, mm. I don't see it. Ah. But see, I think, we don't, I, I think we can end this discussion right now. I think we can. We can know what's happening. Uh, right here at the end of your article, Luke. Yes. Um, <laughs> th- this, this should end it right here. Ken Law, the Asbury College president, stayed, um, started that long ago week as a doubter of the revival. He ended as a believer in the revival's power and truth. He is a believer now. Okay, so let's find out how he's a believer. Maybe okay. we can then yep. um, be believers also. Okay. He's a college president. Um, we, we should be, this is, we're going to find out. Quote, there was this sense of the divine presence that one doesn't have often in his life. He said, this is Ken Law. And when you do have it, you never quite get over it. You know, you know, you know it in your bone marrow. Well, that gets back. Now that gets back to the assurance, the extraordinary assurance that Jones tells us about, is present at any revival. It's it's part and parcel of that uh, baptism with the Spirit. Is the extraordinary assurance of God's presence and His. He, he said he, he he makes he makes an analogy uh, talking about a baptism of the spirit versus the regular working of the spirit in your life. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, you know, we all have had promptings and and, and he's but he said that's like walking in a drizzle. And when you're baptized with the spirit, it's a downpour. Mm-hmm. You are you're just absolutely drenched mm-hmm. to the bone. But, okay. but doesn't Jones say you're baptized with the spirit for some particular task? Not necessarily, because he gives the testimonies of Jonathan Edwards, 
Mm-hmm. He gives uh, a guy named Flavel, who yeah, had Puritan. a, a bat, yeah Puritan, um, and they they were on they were they were on horseback, they were on their own, and they had these ecstatic experiences that changed them. Now, yes, they were used mightily of the Lord, but that was a that that was a, a one man revival, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, not not what we're talking about. I just want to read something here. Again, from Jones, this is in the middle of his book. He said, there are two main dangers which confront us when considering revivals. The first is the danger of quenching the spirit. Now, Jones would argue with you that you can quench the spirit. Okay. You, can, you right. can put this away. Yes. You, right? Uh, and he puts that first because he believes it's more common of the two, two dangers. Then he goes on to say the other danger is the exact opposite. And it's interesting to see uh, how one of the other predominates it's the danger of an uncritical acceptance of everything hmm. so okay it, it, he, he goes on to test the spirits and he talks about how the bible gives us all the tests you know we, we were talking about it earlier in in uh, john's epistles how you can test and uh anyway it i, I want to see if something comes out of this you know it might be that one or two people come out of this that that can change things, that can help things. We don't know that. Mm -hmm. Um, But the fruit is not necessarily, I think, to be expected right now. Mm -hmm. Nonetheless, what we're hearing is nothing about Christ, Hmm. which really makes it suspect. Mm -hmm. I just don't, you know, I don't want to get so far into the cynicism because I'm cynical enough in 2023 uh, about everything mm-hmm. from doctors to politicians and the and the church uh, that I, I don't want to add to it on on this one yet well, well speaking of someone who's a little more cynical perhaps <laughs> no no you know a lot there's more. no doubt here Joel yeah. you are more cynical <laughs> okay I, I would want to know for, for the true believers in the revival I would want to know this answer coming coming from a skeptical person here. I would want to know then what the marks are of a false revival. Mm. I, I would want mm. to know that. I would want to know how they would be able to identify yeah. the, the, the fraud. Mm. I, I really want to hear that, and I don't think I'm going to anytime soon. Mm. Uh, the, the age of Aquarius stuff. It's yeah. the psyche. It's the psychological. And that's what we're hearing. Mm. And that, that that's very disconcerting. The, the, to, to me, the reasons used to justify the, the acceptance that this is a legitimate revival is are enough reasons to accept Kenneth Copeland as a legitimate preacher. Your your mom asked me the question, right? We were talking, right? And she she asked this question. I I think this is a central question. She said to me, she said, what is the difference between this and a Hillsong concert? Yes. Except for this is a little bit longer. Yeah. I I, I want to know the answer to that question, too. Right, and everyone who's defending what's going on, to to me, it also can be used as a defense for a prosperity preacher. Right. Well, you know, people are changed. They're having experiences. They're seeing visions, and like that. That's all things you see at at a Kenneth Copeland meeting. You know, where people are being slain in the spirit. They they have the same testimony, except it's just not as orderly. You know, the minus the tongues and and minus you know, throwing coats at people. You know, and and I and they say, well, I mean, it, yeah, yes. Can can someone go to that and be saved at a Kenneth Copeland you know rally or revival or whatever? Yeah, but but everything that people are saying, well, this is legitimate because this reason right here, and I can just take that reason and use it to legitimize. 
um, uh, Kenneth Copeland and Joel Osteen as as these great, amazing preachers who are doing a revival every single week. And my concern here is that when, the, the, the same problem I have with this Kenneth Copeland is a similar problem I have with, with these so-called revivals. I'm going to criticize him, and I'm going to criticize the revival. But when people justify this revival to me, they're, just, they're also using, justify, using the same reason to justify this as, as, as they can with Kenneth Copeland. Kenneth Copeland. My question is, where do you draw the line and say, okay, this is legitimate, but Kenneth Copeland isn't? Because all the reason you gave me just now to say this is real can, are the same reasons that one can use to say, well, Kenneth Copeland is real too. Where's the line? That's okay, my well, question. Well, well, I got a question for you guys then. See if you, you can help me out with this. I think I've got an example of a faux revival here. Okay. Okay. See, if, see, see what you have to say about this, okay? So, so um, the people are supposed to go into, in, into, in, into Canaan, right? They decide not to based on the reports. Uh, things are really bad. They uh, are getting set to stone uh, Caleb and Joshua. And things are just really bad. The Lord himself appears and put, puts a stop to the thing. And then they are told, you're not going in now. All right. Tell me this is not a revival. Okay. I, I, I know that we're, we're, we're using the word loosely here. Okay. Very, very loosely. Like I say, it's not a category in scripture and it's hard to define. This sounds kind of like a, a, a modern revival. You ready? All right. Go ahead. Okay. So Moses tells them. Okay, then Moses told these words to all the children of Israel, and the people mourned greatly. All right? Okay. So we got, we've got it going on here. Mourn greatly, right? Sounds like wailing. Sounds like, oh, all kinds of stuff happening, right? Man, something's going on. It's a movement of something, right? We don't know too many, too many times when they mourned greatly. Moses just told them, you're not going in now, Right? And they rose early in the morning and went up to the top of the mountain saying, here we are, and we will go up to the place which the Lord has promised, for we have sinned. Hmm. Mm. Wow. You know, we recognize we've done the wrong thing. We wailed all night last night. Okay, we're going to go now. Moses says, now why do you transgress the command of the Lord? For this will not succeed. Do not go up lest you be defeated by your enemies. For the Lord is not among you. The Amalekites, the Canaanites are there before you shall fall by the sword because you have turned away. But they presume to go up. To, I, I missed, skipped a little bit of the verse there. But they presume to go up to the mountaintop. Whoa. We got we. Come on, guys. Get on board with me here. We have a mountaintop experience. What mm -hmm. else do you want? Mm -hmm. Up to the mountaintop. Okay. Nevertheless... Neither the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord nor Moses departed from the camp. Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who dwelt in that mountain came down and attacked them and kicked their lights out, basically. Hmm. I think I have an example of a faux revival here. Everybody was feeling good. Everybody was mourning. Every, they were even confessing their sins. But they were transgressing the commandment of the Lord. I'm going to tell you something. I grew up with revivalism uh, in, 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 my, in my circles. Schedule revivals and so forth. I still remember how shocked I was that the the um, revival under Josiah began by discovering the law of the Lord, mm. which in my tradition was irrelevant. Mm. I still remember being shocked by that. Like, what? You can't you can't have a revival by discovering the law of God, and yet they absolutely did. In this case, it was a fake revival. They were going against the command of the Lord. 
I want to see where commands of the Lord fit in with these modern movements. I, I, I want to see it. I, I believe the passage, I think it's in Isaiah, they'll beat their swords into uh, plowshares. Yeah. Um, let me, uh, let me, uh, um, okay. Um, let me see. Isaiah chapter two. Um, in, in this definition, if you could define this as a revival, I'm not sure if you could define this as a revival, but Isaiah chapter two, verses three through four or five, um, and many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth, I'm gonna give you three options here. The word, the gospel, or the law. Which one do you think he says? Well, spoiler alert, it's the law. For out of Zion shall, shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and they shall and shall decide their disputes for many peoples, which in my opinion is a winning argument for a theocratic government. And, and it, that, that's an aside. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn nor neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Amen. Um, so, uh, you know, oftentimes in Scripture, we see that revival is tied to the law. Not, not always, because, um, again, Corinth could have used a, a good dash of the law, right, I suppose. Yeah, well, right? they got one. They got yeah. one. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. They did get one. But, but they still experienced the revival before then, right, before they really got it. Yes. Arguably. And, um, you know, I, I stand ready to be argued with about whether or not a revival is a baptism with the Holy Spirit. Okay. But for me, that's what it is. Mm. Uh, as I said, as, as I began here, my thinking has all completely been colored by mm. Jones's book. It mm. was uh, transformational for me to go through these sermons. Well, those are great observations by Jones. I, I mean, it has affected my thinking concerning revivals and revivalism uh, very much. Uh, Dad, are we going to hear your favorite revival story from the scriptures? Uh, yes. Here we go. Um, I've got my faux revival here, and uh, now I've got my um, real one. And it is from Acts, the book of Acts, chapter 12. Of course, there was a lot going on in the book of Acts. In Acts 19, we have a, another revival, again, lo 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 losing, using the word somewhat loosely, where they um, believe God, and they start to burn their idols. Now, that's, you know, we were talking earlier about, the, about how is the locality affected well, you don't burn your idols in that kind of a culture without... It, it, that was a very public thing. And that was part of the culture, you worship these idols. What a waste of money and time and... Every, well, what waste of money um, to burn your idols. But that it was very public, and that's like a no-turning-back moment. But... Um, so, so, in other words, that affected the culture. But here, here is my favorite um, revival verse in all of Scripture... There's a struggle going on between the apostles and those who believe in Christ versus at this time the Jews. Not so much the Romans, but the, the, the Jews that want to hang on to the old ways. And it's, it's, it's quite a struggle. On a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, this is Acts chapter 12, sat on his throne and gave an oration to them, and the people kept shouting the voice of a god and not of man. Then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God, and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God grew and multiplied. Hmm. 
Revival. Uh, that sounds like <laughs> revival to me. <laughs> well, um, that is a uh, great question concerning, I mean, well, uh, I think the author there is incorrect because he was a civil magistrate and doesn't need to give glory to God because he gets to operate in his own way. He basically is the That's voice right. of God. So I'm, I'm cu curious why the author there, Luke, thought it was appropriate to, to say that. So I'm just being facetious. So, um, but, um, so what's the application here, being good Puritans? Um, you know, everyone listening to this, okay, we've, we've blown a lot of hot air into the microphones. What is the application concerning revivals? What do I do now uh, that I heard the scripture that you guys have, have, have challenged the narrative at Asbury and the historical narrative, really, of Asbury? What, what, what do you think we do with this information, John? Yeah, that, that's some dead air here. I don't know what to do with it except wait and see. Mm -hmm. um, I, I love the title of Murray's book, Revivals and Revivalism. Mm -hmm. I think that the, the, the title says so much. Um, it, it may be very well be that what we're looking at here is revivalism. Yes. But, you know, mm -hmm. given the, the history, mm -hmm. um, I would note that the... Uh, the sign of the zodiac known as Aquarius runs from January 20th to February 18th. <laughs> oh, for Pete's sakes. Oh, my I didn't know gosh. we had an expert on oh Aquarius. I had to look it up. Oh. But I thought, what, would, oh. what are the chances? And Say chances are 100%. Say it ain't so. <laughs> um, but are, are we indeed looking at a revivalism college here? I, I, it may, it may be, and that's that's discouraging. And the, if it is, the, the really discouraging part is that we, we don't need any more dirt thrown on the church. Mm. Uh, especially, sure. you know, we're, we're doing such a good job of it, uh, putting hirelings in the pulpits and, and uh, not being able to say, oh, there's only one way to Christ. We, we can't seem to actually say it out loud, or one way to, to heaven, one way to God. It's only through Christ. Nobody seems to be able to admit it. Mm. We have too many preachers already embarrassing themselves in the pulpits by being embarrassed by God's word. Mm -hmm. So uh, do we need to embarrass ourselves any further with, with false revivals, with things that disappoint? And, and so that would be very, very bad. Okay. I, I hope to see something, but I, as far as applications go, you know, I think you keep your powder dry and, and you retain a certain amount of skepticism. I don't think Jones would say, believe everything. He, mm -hmm. he clearly said, don't believe everything. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we pray for revival at our church every week. Mm -hmm. We pray for it. Yes, we do. And, and so let's not be surprised if we get one, mm -hmm. but let's make sure that it's real. All right. Dad, what do you think? Uh, fake revival better than uh, no revival at all? Uh, de definitely, I'd rather have no revival than oh, a fake yeah. revival. <laughs> no, no, no question. Everybody go back in your tent, repent of your sin, and go back to, go back to the wilderness. You missed your chance. Don't like, oh, yeah, okay, we're sorry now. Let's go, let's go fight the Amalekites. The people who were scared to, stiff of just, I mean, that, that had to have been quite experienced, Luke. Really. I mean, we were just scared of those people. They were giants, right? Just a couple of days ago, right? And now we're going to go and get them. I mean, something emotional is going on. But here is, here is my application of this. And this might take a minute, but I, I hope not to take too long. From Revival and Revivalism. By Ian Murray. By Ian Murray. Um, 
all this, he, what he's doing, he's talking, because of context, he's talking about the difference in, in, in preaching between 1800 and after 1800. And he's, he's pointing out that before, you know, 1800 and before, they were talking about preaching the word of God without, without psychological, psychological accoutrements. Mm-hmm. Let's just say it that way, mm-hmm. right? And, and there were preachers who said, when you, when you trade in the psychological accoutrements, you can't have both. You can't have this, the psycho stuff and the truth too. You got to trade it. You got to trade for it is what you got to do. So he, he says this. He says, all this was already clear in the teaching of Jonathan Edwards, who quote, said, quote, the heart can have no ten- tendency to make itself better until it first has a better tendency. End of quote. Here is Calvinism coming out there. Ebenezer Porter, this is Ian Murray goes on to say this, Ebenezer Porter speaks of all those revival preachers of 1800 being agreed, prior uh, of 1800 before, being agreed that means have, listen to this, means have no independent efficacy to renew the hearts of men, that man does not gradually become holy by the influence of means. Regeneration being an instantaneous and not a progressive work, that this renovation is not produced by any direct instrumentality of means, it being a supernatural work not affected like ordinary events by the laws of nature. And what he's saying there is, is that, it, it, well, he's, what, what, what's happening here is, see, you know, Charles Finney comes along later, and he's got the mourner's bench, and he's got, he's got all these um, you got tricks. A bag of tricks. you got a bag of tricks. Yeah, yeah. To, to get revival going. And they did work. Mm-hmm. They, they did. So that's another question we need to ask. Um, do we not have a revival because we don't know the tricks? We don't know the means? Mm. Uh, we don't know how many times you have to sing just as I am or I surrender all, right? Now, here's the application of this for me. I think this has gotten so deep into us that we have traded truth for psychology. You can hardly, I was driving down the road just, just twice. I don't really listen to that much Christian radio, but twice I heard it. People just apologizing for telling the truth. We're not mean, and you just get this all the time. We're not mean. We're not trying to alien. Blah blah blah. And we uh, just we we can't seem to say much of anything without apologizing and qualifying everything we say. And I'm telling you, I've been thinking about this for a while. I do not see that. I mean, you see these really seriously direct statements made by prophets in the Bible. And I just do not see where they qualify it and say, hey, I'm not here for me. I'm here for you because I love you. And and I know this is going to make you feel bad, but hey, it's the truth. And no, thus says the Lord, this is what he says. I would argue that we do not believe that God works through his word anymore. God works through our psychological manipulation capabilities. Hmm. And without them, we're busted. Another thing. One of the person, one of the people commenting on this, talked about the amount of music at this quote-unquote revival thing mm-hmm. going on. Mm-hmm. I, I'm finding that intriguing because he went on to say, and this is something I've been noticing for a while. People just seem to love in the Christian church now live, um, live, live uh, performing performed music. It, it seems as if you cannot have a growing church or a mega church or an exciting church without live performed music relevant church yeah right there you go relevant you just can't do it and just as a little thing just not don't want to make too much of it but the last time we had music that you know to to, to warm you up for worship the last time we had that was neb yeah and that um uh 
idol that, that 90 foot idol of his just saying i mean i I, I don't, well, know, I I don't mean, know what to say about the, all this performance. What what is it? You could you could put the 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 advent of the piano or musical instruments in churches probably around 1800, right? I mean, before then, how many churches had a piano sitting in there before 1800 and how many churches had a piano yeah. sitting in there after 1800? Yeah, but I would make a distinction between a performance and a and a company and a, and a company met. I would make a huge distinction between those two. I mean, well, I think even for Finney, though, wasn't he playing music for his, too? Oh, yeah, I mean, he, yeah he, had, he had the music. I don't think Jonathan him. Edwards was. I don't think Dwight was. You know, I don't think he even had access to it, you know? No, I don't think they would have, would have music going on. And again, I, I love music. I, but but what, what is with this live performance, music performance thing with the lights? And what, is, that, is that what Ian Murray is talking about, these means... Mm-hmm. That we have to have. And that would be the revivalism part, the means. No doubt. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, folks, you heard it here first. Um, John is still in the middle. He's waiting to see. Dad uh, has said the hammer has come down, and he is skeptical. <laughs> and, uh, well, um, I don't know. I don't know what to say. I'm not sure which, which way to go yet. Um, I, I know that, you know, for, for Christians, if you're a big fan of the law, um, you have to, um, if you're a big fan of the law, you have to eventually realize the importance of community in your personal walk. Because if you look at the, the law, the application of accusation has to come down to two or three witnesses. And basically, if you don't have two or three witnesses, you don't have a case. And since I'm not a witness, nor do I know any witnesses, it's hard for me to build a case either for or against. It's hard. You can do it, but it's, it's hard to, to make that case and put it up against, thus saith the Lord. So for, for me, I, I know that I'd like to see it myself. I do believe eyewitnesses um, when they talk about it. Um, and I do, do believe them when they say things like, oh, there's people out in the, in the fields crying. But, but to me, that doesn't say much. It's, that doesn't hold as much weight as I listen to the, what they call the gospel message and it's not the gospel message. That doesn't hold as much weight. So um, I, again, I, I think I stay on the, I, I remain on the skeptical side, but I'm also, I mean, it's not like you have to choose a position, right? But I, I, I am also willing to wait because the law does say every, every charge shall be established on the evidence of two or three witnesses. I was willing to wait. <laughs> After those articles are pretty damning. I mean, honestly, the, the, I mean, the February thing and, you know, the, the history and um, anyway. Well, folks, this is the Thinking Reform podcast. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And this is Joel, John, and Luke saying we'll see you next time. And remember, think and reform. This is a dawn okay, no, 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 no. the age of Aquarius. Do you know the song, Luke? I've never heard this, oh, my word. song. Oh, it was huge. Oh, my gosh. By the fifth dimensions, nonetheless. Yeah, the fifth dimension. <laughs> and with that, we're out.